Let me invite you this morning to take your copy of God's Word, and we're turning once again to Nehemiah, the third chapter, the last time we were together. By the way, it is good to be back. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if, if any of you all feel the way I do after vacation. You know, you come back and you say, you know, it was a break, it was different, but it was no vacation. We had grandkids running everywhere, and you know, Ruth, because of her broken wing, I was doing most of the cooking, and I just ready to get back and have some rest. So, uh, but it's good to be back with you this morning. And as we return to our study of Nehemiah, I shared with you last time one of my favorite quotes from Chuck Swindoll, and it's in your message guide again this morning if you have that uh, handy. But Chuck Swindoll said this, and I love it. He said, "Life is a series." of incredible opportunities that are brilliantly dis, uh, disguised as impossible situations. Life is a series of incredible opportunities that are often brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. So let me ask you again this morning, and you can just answer to yourself, anybody here feel like you're dealing with one of those impossible situations in your life, some circumstance, some problem, some challenge, something that just seems to be impossible for you to overcome. Uh, no matter how hard you've tried, no matter how much energy you've expended, no matter how long you've prayed, no matter what solution you have tried to come up with to deal with the situation. You can't solve the problem. You can't overcome the challenge. And you can't win the victory. If we were honest this morning, probably a lot of us in here could honestly say, Preacher, I understand that. I know what it's like. I've got one of those impossible situations in my home, in my marriage, in my family, in my job, in my finances, in some relationship, somewhere I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to fix it, but nothing's worked. It is an impossible situation for me. Well, <clears throat> I asked you last time we were together, and I want to ask you again this morning to dare to do something that really goes against uh, what is normal and some would say even logical. And that is for you to take that impossible situation, whatever it is, and begin to look at it as an incredible opportunity for God to do something in and with your life. Again, that's not a normal way to look at things, but that is exactly what we find taking place here in Nehemiah, the third chapter. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at this together. You remember Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem were facing an impossible situation for 141 years. Ever since the armies of the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. had come in and destroyed the nation of Judah... Ever since then, the city of Jerusalem had been in shambles. For 141 years, the walls of that great city had been broken down and its gates had been burned with fire. 
For 141 years, the people living in the city of Jerusalem had been living in fear and disgrace. For 141 years, they'd been at the mercy of their enemies. For 141 years, they'd known nothing but misery and despair and hopelessness. For 141 years, those broken down walls and that devastated city reminded the people living there that they were a defeated people. Those walls mocked them and ridiculed them, and it seemed to be an impossible situation for them to overcome. Now, I don't want to go back and review too much from last time, but we do need to remember that there were three reasons why uh, this seemed to be such an impossible situation. Number one, rebuilding those walls and rebuilding the city of Jerusalem was a truly overwhelming task for the people. Bible scholars tell us that the walls of Jerusalem may have been as much as 20 feet high, perhaps 10 feet wide. And when the Babylonians came in, they completely destroyed those walls, the stones of which were hundreds, maybe even thousands of pounds, and they had tumbled those stones down into the surrounding valleys. It was just an overwhelming thing to think about rebuilding those massive walls. (coughs) Number two, Nehemiah was confronting a history of defeat. You see, the people had tried to rebuild the walls and tried to rebuild the city at least twice previously. First time, some 80 years earlier, under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and then most recently, some 12 to 13 years earlier, under the leadership of Ezra, but they had been unsuccessful. Why? Because of the overwhelming nature of the task, because of the opposition of the enemies of God's people, and also because of the sinfulness and the self-centeredness of the people themselves. So they had tried, and they had tried to rebuild the walls. They had failed, and so there was a history of defeat here. And then thirdly, we need to remember that this was an overwhelming situation for the people because the people living in Jerusalem were utterly dispirited and discouraged. The only people Nehemiah had to work with when he got back to Jerusalem were the people who were still living there. He didn't bring in a bunch of people with him. These were the same people who had tried and tried to rebuild, but who had failed. And so now they were discouraged. Now they were defeated. Now they were dispirited. I share those things with you because that's so often where we find ourselves when we're facing our own impossible situations. We're we're totally overwhelmed. We've tried everything and it hasn't worked. Because of that, we're facing a history of defeat. No matter what we've done, we continue to be, be defeated. And then out of that comes tremendous discouragement and despair. So the question this morning is, how do we deal with life's impossible situations so that we can truly begin looking at them as the incredible opportunities that God so often designs them to be. How in the world, as the sermon title asks, how do we eat this elephant that's in our room? How do we deal with something that's so big and so overwhelming and so discouraging? 
Well, as the old saying goes, you eat the elephant how? One bite at a time. And the only way you can deal with something overwhelming, so big, so huge, so looming in your life, the only way I can deal with it in my life is to divide it up into manageable sections, deal with those things one thing at a time. Thank you very much. I'm struggling up here a little bit. <clears throat> I appreciate it. Um, so how do we deal with those things? Let's, let's look at this together because some... Uh, excuse me. All right. We'll get through this. <laughs> uh, just let me, uh, since I'm here, let me go ahead and take a drink, all right? All right. I am going to put this over here where hopefully I won't spill it again. Okay, so how do we deal with this thing? Uh, let, me, let me look with you through Nehemiah chapter 3 because what we see happening here is the people saying, okay, we, we can't deal with this huge 141-year-old problem if we're, if we're looking at the whole thing. And that's why Nehemiah came on the scene. Nehemiah came to say, you, you've been looking at this whole elephant for 141 years. It, it's impossible. Let me try to help you divide it up and get it into some manageable bites so that you can deal with it. And that what's, that's what's going to happen here. So as we look at this chapter, we're going to see a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. And I'm going to use this sort of as a template to help you and to help me see how we can begin dealing with these impossible situations in our own lives. Now, again, last time we were together, we started out by saying that the very first thing we must do is take that impossible situation, whatever it is, and really dedicate that thing to the Lord for his glory. You see, I've got to start here. This is where I've got to start. Because what I so often do when I'm dealing with those difficult situations in my own life, what I so often do is, is say, God, you've got to get me out of this. You know, I, I look at my misery and my pain and my discouragement, and I'm saying, God, I need a way out of this. That's, that's the wrong place to start. You've got to start with God. You've got to start with saying, God, how can I bring glory to you through this thing that I'm dealing with? How can you receive fame? How can you receive glory as I walk through this impossible situation in my own life? That's where we've got to start. And that's where we see the people starting here in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, because the first folks that we're exposed to who are doing the work of rebuilding the walls are the priests. The priests are mentioned first in verse 1, but we don't just see them in verse 1. We see them again in verse 17. We see them in verse 22. We see them in verse 28. And that's very significant because every other individual or group that's mentioned here in Nehemiah chapter 3 is given one single section of the wall to work on, but the priests are scattered everywhere throughout the building project. Now, why? Because if you look at verse 1, you'll see that their role was to consecrate and dedicate this work of rebuilding to the Lord. They, the priests were placed everywhere along the construction site to remind the people, listen, you're not just doing this for yourselves. You're doing this for the glory of God. I've got to start there. 
I've got to take that situation and say, Lord, I give this to you. I dedicate it to you. I consecrate it to you. I set it apart so that you can use it for your glory. If I don't do that, then that impossible situation becomes all about me instead of all about God. And it's really all about God because there is something he wants to do in that situation that will bring greater glory to him. You've got to start there and you've got to believe that. Now let's move on and see what else needs to take place here. Here's, here's a second lesson. Now this is going to be tough for some of you. It's tough for me sometimes. But lesson number two says, I must get into the mess even if I don't want to. And even if I don't have to. I have to get out there and I have to get into the mess of that impossible situation, whatever it is, even if I don't have to, even if I don't want to. In other words, when I'm facing this impossible situation in my life, the easy thing for me to, here's the easy thing for me to do. The easy thing for me to do is just isolate myself and say, you know, I can't do anything about this. I've tried. I've prayed. So, you know, here's the easy thing for me to do. I'm just going to withdraw. I'm just going to stay out of the mess. I'm not going to deal with it anymore. I'll just let God deal with it or I'll just, you know, I'll let somebody else deal with it. But I'm not going to get in there and I'm not going to get involved. I've been hurt. Um. Somebody's done something to me. Somebody doesn't appreciate me, whatever the deal may be, and I'm just going to isolate myself. Well, no, you can't do that. You've got to figure out how God wants you to be involved in taking that impossible situation and turning it into an incredible opportunity for His glory. If you look at verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 3, you'll see something very interesting here. At least it's very interesting to me. We're told that some of the work on the walls of Jerusalem were being carried out by people who didn't even live in the city of Jerusalem. We see that the men of Jericho were working there. Now, Jericho was 18 miles away from Jerusalem. These guys didn't live in the mess, but they came and they wanted to be part of fixing it. And they weren't the only ones. People came from other towns as well. If you look at verse 5, you'll see that there were some folks there from Tekoa. Verse 7, there were people from Gibeon and Mizpah. Verse 13, people from Zenoa. Verse 17, from Kaliah. None of these folks lived in Jerusalem. They weren't part of the neighborhood. These were commuters, you might say. They had to leave their homes. They had to leave their occupations. They had to leave their communities they didn't live in the mess, but they were willing to get into the mess because they believed there was something that would bring greater glory to God, and they wanted to be a part of that. And, and don't forget about Nehemiah himself. You remember where Nehemiah was, don't you? When he first found out about the destruction in Jerusalem, he was living in the palace of the king of Persia. He was in a place of comfort and a place of security, it would have been very easy for him to stay there in isolation, but he knew that God was calling him to be part of fixing the mess, even when he didn't have to, maybe even when he didn't really want to. So I've, I've got to dedicate this thing to God for his glory. Lord, I give this to you. There's something that you want to do through this that will bring glory to you. That's my first step. Number two, I've got to find a way 
to get into the mess, even, even if I don't want to, even if I don't have to. Number three, then I've got to let God show me where I need to go to work. I've got to let God show me where I need to go to work. See, when I'm in an impossible situation, again, my, my inclination is to say, okay, look, if I've got to get into the mess, then I'm going to do this. This is, what I'm going to, this is what I feel like I need to do. This is what I feel like I need to say. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to manipulate that. Well, that might be exactly what you need to do. But it might not be what you need to do. Do you know who knows what you need to do? God. God knows what you need to do. He will show you where you need to go to work if you will ask him. And let me tell you this, what God wants me to do in my impossible situation may be very different from what I think I need to do. He, he, he may direct me in some way that, that I would have never come up with. You see, as I look at Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm absolutely amazed at the different things that I see these individuals and groups doing. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, there's some folks who are building a gate. Now it's called the fish gate, so named because it was near the fish market. Probably sort of a smelly place to work, you know. Might not have been the, the place those people would have chosen, but that was the place they began work. Verse 11, these folks aren't just building a wall or part of the wall. They're also building a tower. Verse 23, now this is interesting because some folks got to work around their own houses. They didn't have to, they didn't have to go far. So they probably got some immediate gratification. It's a pretty sweet deal. I'm, I'm going to work right around my own house. But not everybody got to do that. Verse 25, we see a man by the name of Shalom. He worked not only on the city walls, but, but he worked on the walls of, of a pool. And, and on and on throughout this chapter, we could look at a lot of different things. Everybody's doing something different. Their starting points, their assignments are different. So as you're looking at your impossible situation and you've given it to the Lord for his glory and you've determined that you're going to deal with the mess even if you don't have to, even if you don't want to, all right, now let God show you where you need to start. Let God show you what you need to do and it may be very different from what you might imagine you need to do. So you need to spend some time with him in prayer and in his word so that he can speak to your heart by his spirit and he can show you where you need to go to work in that impossible situation. Number four, I must engage even if I don't feel capable. Even if I don't feel capable. Listen, probably none of us feel capable of dealing with an impossible situation. You may be thinking right now, look, preacher, I, if I get into this mess and I try to do something to bring God glory, I try to do something that God tells me to do, it won't work. I'm not capable. Again, I've tried. I've failed. I'm discouraged. 
I want you to look at something really interesting with me here in verse 8. In verse 8, who is working on the walls? Do you see that? Who's working on the walls in verse 8? Goldsmiths, jewelers, and perfume makers. Now let me ask you a question. What in the world are jewelers and perfume makers doing working on a wall? These guys didn't have dirt under their fingernails. They didn't have calluses on their hands. I mean, these are the Danny brothers, right? They are. These are the Danny brothers. They, they weren't used to this kind of hard physical labor. They could have complained. Man, this isn't in my field. You know, the, the rough work of handling those stones and, and mortar could have damaged their, their delicate hands and really, honestly, could have threatened their livelihood. What if one of those stones had slipped and crushed their hands? They used their hands to earn their, their livelihood. Okay, this wasn't what these guys did for a living. But you see, when there was a greater agenda, and that agenda was the glory of God, they said, you know, this is not comfortable for us. We don't feel gifted to do this kind of work. But we're going to do it anyway because the glory of God is at stake. We're going to get into the mess and we're going to let God tell us what to do. And we're going to do it even if we don't feel capable of doing it. Number five. Now this is a tough one. I must be willing to do more than I have to do. I must be willing to do more than I have to do. Look at verse 13. It says, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and they repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. Now that word and there is very important. Apparently these folks did what was assigned to them and then they decided to do more. In other words, after finishing the valley gate, they went on to work on 1,000 cubits of the wall. That's over 500 yards, a length of more than five football fields, an enormous amount of work. Far more than anybody else was called on to do in this third chapter. Let me tell you what these guys could have said. They could have said, hey, we've done our part. We've tried. You know, I, I, I've come forward and, I, and I've, I've done what I feel like I need to do. And, and, and I haven't gotten anything in return. I haven't had, you know, haven't seen any progress. So I'm just going to stop with my section. I'm going to stop with doing this one thing, God's No, no, no. If you're dealing with an impossible situation and it's for the glory of God, you and I have always got to be willing to do more than we think we have to. It always requires doing more than your part. Sometimes it requires doing more than your part and still not seeing any big result. Sometimes it involves doing more than your part and still being hurt and still seeing nothing 
take place. But if we're serious about the glory of God, then we have to be willing to do more than we have to. Really, we need to be willing to do whatever it takes if that's what God calls us to do. Number six, I must be willing to do something. See, may, maybe I don't feel like, you know, you say, preacher, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do, can't do anything else. Certainly can't do more than I have to do. You know, this, this situation's just beating me down. I understand that, but that doesn't mean you get to opt out and do nothing. There is something you need to do. Verse 21 tells me, uh, introduces me to a man by the name of Merimuth. Now, in, in contrast to what Hanun and the folks from Zenoah did, this guy works on a tiny section of the wall, the smallest section mentioned. If you look at it, it says he worked from the door of Eliashib's house to the end of his house. Now, you got to remember, houses back then weren't these huge affairs like like you know we're we're used to today many of them were one or two room little 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 houses sometimes set into the wall itself and so he worked from the door of this house to the end of this house a tiny little section it wasn't a lot but it was something and it made a difference so maybe for some of us today we just need to say god just show me something something i can do I can't, I can't even fathom of, of doing more than I have to do or, or want to do right now. But God, if you just, just show me something, some little part, some little place I can plug in to try to bring glory to you through this situation. And then finally, and I, in some ways I think this is by far the most important thing that we see here in Nehemiah chapter 3. I must be willing to humble myself. Look at verse 14. It says, Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. Now, please don't miss this. In many ways, this, this is just so impactful to me. Out of everything in this entire chapter, here's Malchijah, who is a ruler. He belongs to the upper class. He is privileged. He had status. He had position. This guy built what? The dung gate. We're, we're talking about a place that was associated, and please forgive me, I'm not trying to offend your delicate sensibilities here, but this place was associated with the most unpleasant digestive byproduct you can think of. This was the refuse gate. It was the garbage gate. It was the waste product gate. All of the most revolting stuff from the city of Jerusalem passed through this gate on its way to the garbage dump. And it was a ruler. Do you see that? It was royalty who took this most humbling 
job and gave it to God for His glory. It reminds me an awful lot of what I read in Philippians chapter 2. Have this attitude in yourself, this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the very form of God, did not consider his equality with God something to be grasped or held on to at all costs, but he humbled himself. And taking on the form of a servant and being made in the likeness of man and in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, he emptied himself, he poured himself out and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Hardest thing in the world for prideful, sinful human beings to do. Hardest thing we ever do, I think, is to humble ourselves. To do something that we don't have to do. To do something when we don't feel capable of doing it. To do something that somebody else tells us to do. To take on the form of a servant. It's hard. But Nehemiah and the people of God determined that this 141-year-old impossible situation was an incredible opportunity that could bring glory to God. So they jumped into the mess even when they didn't have to. They let God show them where they needed to work. They engaged even though they didn't feel capable or comfortable. They were willing to do more than they had to. All of them determined they were going to do something. And they humbled themselves so that God might receive glory. And in just 52 days, in just 52 days, God turned around a 141-year-old problem, took that impossible situation, and turned it into an incredible opportunity as we will see, for His glory. We'll never deal with the elephants in our lives if we're looking at the whole elephant. We've got to ask God to help us take that thing and divide it up and let's begin working on it a little bit at a time, no matter how discouraged, no matter how overwhelmed, no matter how defeated. Every impossible situation can become an incredible opportunity for God's glory if we'll deal with it God's way. I want you to pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that these things that in so many ways are stories from ancient history, that they are far more than ancient history. They speak to our contemporary reality. And they call us to understand, Lord, that you have a plan and you have a purpose for everything we go through, even the impossible situations in life that 
so often confront us. Father, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who may be dealing with a problem, situation, a circumstance that they've been dealing with for a long, long time. It's overwhelming. There's just a history of defeat there. And there's great discouragement. Father, we turn to you today. And we turn to your word and we turn to your ways. And we ask, Lord, that you would work in these impossible situations. Make them incredible opportunities for your glory, your honor, and your fame. That we might truly embrace our calling as a people on mission with you that your purposes and your plans might be accomplished and not ours. It's the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together this uh, great hymn, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And I love the analogy that's in it of, of God being that divine potter, uh, us being that clay in His hands that He's able to take and mold and shape. And You know, sometimes He has to redo some things, major things in our lives to get us to the place where we need to be. Sometimes there's some flaws he needs to work on. But you know, no matter how, how broken, how, how imperfect we are, as long as we're still moldable and pliable in, our, in his hands, he can reshape us and turn us into vessels for his honor and his glory. I, I believe that and I'm so grateful for that and I hope you do too. So we're gonna stand together. If you need to come this morning, these altars are open. If I can pray with you this morning, I'll do that. I, I've got my mask here I'll put on, and, and we, can, uh, we can pray together if I can somehow uh, walk part of the journey with you. But as God speaks to your heart this morning, if you need to respond, this is your time to, to respond. As we sing, have thine own way, Lord.